over the cost of compassion. Uh, I think someone said the measure of our society is how we treat our most vulnerable. The measure of our society is how we treat our most vulnerable. Uh, it's a challenge, isn't it? H- how do we think about that? I think generally in churches, uh, in the churches I've been in anyway, we've been pretty much middle class Anglo-Saxon most of the time. Uh, pretty well off generally. Uh, we're pretty comfortable. Most of us live in houses. Quite a lot of us have got our own house. We're paying off our houses. Uh, how often, though, do we think about how do we look after and care those who are less well off than us, the vulnerable in our society, uh, the poor in our society, the ones that have disabilities in our society? How do we care for them? And how do we care for them across the world? Not just here, but throughout the world. And that's what the challenge is this morning for us, is to think about that and think about that from God's perspective. How does God see that? I want to just whack up for you to start with just a couple of statistics for you. And this is particularly on kids because we're thinking about kids and compassion. Uh, 1.1 billion children live in poverty. That's half the world's children live in poverty. It's huge, isn't it? Next one. 1.2 million children are trafficked each year for sexual exploitation and cheap labour. That's 1.2 million kids are either sold to someone to be a slave or sold to someone to use them as a sex slave or to make money out of them for their sex. 1.4 billion people live in extreme poverty. That is, uh, the qualification is they live under 1.25 American dollars a day. You can't even get a quarter of a coffee down the street for that, can you? But they live on $1.25 a day around the world. That's $1.4 billion. Now, I don't want to uh, completely make it like it sounds. It's all terrible because things are changing. Uh, that's 26% of the population of the world live in extreme poverty. Now, there's a whole lot of people who live in poverty. This is extreme poverty. This is right at the extreme end. Uh, a whole lot more people live in poverty. Uh, but that 26% has actually dropped from 51% in 1981. So in 1981, 52% of the world lived in extreme poverty. We've halved that in, what, 30 years. That's been amazing, hasn't it? Uh, There's a whole lot of contributors to that and a whole lot of reasons for that. So there are some positive signs out there. There are some good things happening in the world. It's not all doom and gloom, guys, but it only happens and changes as people like you and I decide to do something about it. Uh, there's big people out there who are doing Make Poverty History, uh, Bono and co, and they've uh, raised the issue many times. But ultimately it comes down to us as individuals making the difference. And so that's a challenge for us today to think about that. How can we as individuals make a difference? Uh, because I think when we look at the Bible, uh, then we are the ones who are called on to make the difference. Uh, let me just first put you forward, because uh, at the heart of God, at the heart of Jesus, are the poor and the vulnerable in the world. It was at the heart of Jesus' mission, spiritually but also physically. Uh, if you've got, uh, have a look on the, on the board, Luke chapter 4. Next one up. Oh, I know that's there. There it is. There it is. Let me read it for you. It says, uh, this is what Jesus said as he was about to start off on his ministry. This is in Luke and he's about to begin and this is what he says. He stands up in the synagogue and he says this. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it he found a place where it is written, 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's a big statement, isn't it? I've become, I've come, he says. Good news brings salvation, but also uh, he says that he brings, doesn't he, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, to set the blind free, the oppressed free. Uh, in, back in those days, the year of God's favour was every 40 years. They'd uh, set aside every debt that was there. It would be wiped out and people were able to start. And that was the year of the Lord's favour. It was wiping out of debt, uh, setting people free from their debt. That's what he's talking about. And so Jesus is saying here that the year of the Lord's favour is about to begin where everybody's debt can be set free in him through his death on the cross. But within that, there's also the bound up that it's setting the poor and the blind and those of the vulnerable as well. The setting free from our sin has got to have an impact on setting people free who are vulnerable and poor as well. It's not either or. In the past, there's been this bit of a thing in sometimes evangelical circles where uh, you don't get into serving the poor, you just tell them the gospel. That's it, tell them the gospel, we'll do that. As there's been another part of the Christian church that says, well, no, let's don't tell them the gospel, let's just feed them and look after them and that'll be what needs to be done. But the Bible doesn't do either of those, does it? Jesus doesn't do either of those. Jesus melds those two together and he says, I come to set the poor free, give sight to the blind and I come to bring salvation as well. He moulds them together. They can't be separated. The two go together. Uh, Let me highlight that it's not just Jesus that says that, but let's put up a couple more verses for you. Some other key scriptures about this. James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? If you proclaim to follow Jesus... If you're not helping out the widows and the poor, you're not putting it together, are you? You've missed it. Proverbs 31, verses 8 to 9, he says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up for and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. I can't get much stronger than that, can it? Those that are the worst off, the most vulnerable in our, in our country, in our land, in our world, Christians should be at the forefront in helping them shouldn't be just the neighbourhood centre. shouldn't be just our justice system. It should be us. Psalm 82, verses 3 to 4. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. It's pretty clear from that too, isn't it? What's God's heart? God's heart and the way that sees the world is the weak, the poor the trampled on, who can't speak up, who are powerless, they're close to his heart and he desires change for them. He wants something to be done about it. And do you notice who he asks to do something about it? You notice there isn't, just let me fix the world problems? Who does he ask? Us. Doesn't he? Did you see that? 
God's saying to people that we're the ones that need to look after. We're the ones who don't speak up. We're the ones that need to seek the right. We're the ones who are to defend. We're the ones who are to rescue. We're the ones who are to deliver. God doesn't say, sit on your hands and let me sort it all out. He says, I want you to sort it. And I've given you the means to sort it. So how can we do that? How can we show compassion? How can you and I do that? Well, I think in one sense we need to know what compassion is, don't we? We need to be challenged by that. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we were in Sydney, for my, many of you know, for my father's 70th birthday. And uh, if you've ever been to Sydney and you've walked around Sydney, uh, just in the central Sydney, in the CBD, you'll notice that on just about every corner, there'll be somebody there sitting with a sign uh, asking for some money, asking for help. And they're everywhere. They're all over the place. And I noticed as I was walking past, I started to notice a couple of them. And the first thing that came to my mind was just keep walking. And I kept walking, I think. And then the other thing was coming is if I gave them something, then they'd just abuse it. They'd just use it. They'd go and get drugs. They'd go and get cigarettes. They'd go and do something with it. And, and as I was doing that, and then I started to see more and more of them, I thought, Paul, you're an idiot. You have completely lost it, haven't you? And there might be a whole lot of good things about how can I love this person, but one thing by loving them is not by walking by them and leaving them there. No matter what that person does with whatever I could give or hand out to them, that's actually not in the end my decision. I can't change that. There will be other organisations that might be able to help with that, but I can't. But how can I help and love that person as I just walk past them? I can't. I was an idiot. I was saying, here I am pretending that I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm turning my back and my head away from those that are in need. Even with those that are there, how can I possibly show need to them? Do I give them money or do I think about other ways in which I can get their organisations that can come in and help them? It doesn't have to be just putting money in the plate, does it? But I was just walking by and trying to ignore and think, oh, that was sad. I had sympathy, but I did nothing. And that's hopeless. So what does compassion mean? What is the, what's the definition of compassion? Uh, if you go to the Oxford Dictionary, it says, a sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. Well, I did that for the people that I walked by. But is that what compassion is? Macquarie Dictionary says this, a feeling of sorrow or pity for the sufferings and misfortunes of another. Well, I did that too, really, didn't I? But is that really what compassion is? Well, we need to go to God, don't we, and ask him what he says and what he thinks about compassion. And when we read in the Bible the word compassion, it comes up 12 times in the Bible and Jesus uses it nine times. So Jesus is talking about compassion a lot. I'm going to tell you the Greek word because I can't even pronounce it particularly well. But the Greek word, compassion, doesn't mean sympathy or pity. It means to be moved to the bottom of your bowels. Moved to the bottom of your bowels. That is, uh, it's the seat of the bowels in the Bible, is the seat of love and pity and action. It's to move that way. Now, the little funny one, I just sort of break this, it seems to me. See, see, the cow was moved to his bowels, wasn't he, to help out the teddy because the teddy needed the, the, the lolly at the top. He needed something there to get there. See, it's action, isn't it? Compassion equals action. Compassion is not just sympathy. Compassion is not just pity. Compassion is being moved from the internals to do something. Because that's what love is, isn't it? Love in the Bible is all about action. And compassion is an aspect of love. It's 
being moved to your bowels. Uh, so action equals, compassion equals action. Uh, we're going to read uh, the Good Samaritan story now and uh, Betty's going to come up and read that for us from Luke chapter 10. And Jesus uses the word compassion. You might not see it in the, new, in the NIV, uh, but it's the word pity when you get to it and it's more than pity. So Betty's going to read it for us. Let me just have a quick think about that. The parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man... He passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go do likewise. Thanks, Betty. Now, we're going to look at this again in a few weeks' time when we look at the stories that Jesus told. Uh, but just this morning, I wanted to highlight for you a couple of things out of the passage. And the first one is there is in, uh, but a Samaritan in verse 33, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took compassion on him. So the word there is compassion. Pity, in one sense, doesn't give enough sense to it, I think. It's deeper than that. This guy was moved to the bottom of his bowels that he needed to reach out and help. Uh, the story of this Good Samaritan is that the Samaritans don't help Jews and Jews don't help Samaritans. We're going to delve into that a little bit more in the future. But this guy comes in and he goes across barriers, he goes across culture, he goes across what he shouldn't and shouldn't do and sees someone in need and he reaches out and he grabs and he helps. So his compassion leads to action, doesn't it? And it all comes out of what to start with? What was Jesus? He said the great commandment there, doesn't he? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and to love your neighbour as yourself. And loving your neighbour as yourself has got to be seen in action. Not just in words. Not just in mental assent. Not just saying, yeah, I've got an idea of that. But doing it. See how Jesus puts it together? 
He says, this has got to be done. This is an action thing. This is something that needs to be. When you see it, do something about it within your means. And that's what Jesus did too, didn't he? And when Jesus saw a need, he responded not just with words but with action. When the paralytic came to him and he needed to be healed, he said, I'm going to fix your spiritual, but I'm going to actually fix your physical as well. When the people came and they needed to be fed, there was 5,000 of them or more, 5,000 men, maybe 10,000 people on the hill. He looked out on them and he had compassion on them and he fed them. He doesn't say, oh, well, bad luck, guys, you need to go and go and sort out your own meal, do you? He had compassion on them and he fed them. When he saw the blind man on the road, he had compassion. He bent down and he touched him and he either spat in the dirt, one of them, or he just touched him in another one. Or the leper, who no one touched, he embraced and he took action and he healed. You see, compassion has got to equal action. If we are to be following Jesus, if we are to love the God with our heart, soul and mind and love our neighbour as ourselves, it's got to be seen in what we do. We've been pounding that, haven't we, for the last couple of years. That's been our big verse when we've been thinking about how do we reach our community. But we've got to take that bigger than that. We've got to see what is it, how does that reach the world? What does God see for the world? And he sees the poor who are out there and he wants them out of that. And he sees the poor children of that and he wants them out of that. Jesus brings the children to him, doesn't he? And he says, hold on to them, care for them. He says, when you feed one of these, when you help one of these, then you are helping me. It's a challenge, isn't it? You see, this is the nature of love. This is the nature of, action, of compassion. It's, it's seen in action. Now, James says in chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. They're not separate, they're connected. Yes, we are saved by faith only, but faith that saves you has got to be seen in action. Otherwise, you've got to be questioning the faith that you have. It's not sympathy, it's not pity. It's that internal roar down deep inside of you that says, I want to help. It's the absolute need to do something no matter what the cost is. The cost for sponsoring a child through compassion is only $40 a month. $40 a month and that changes kids' lives. That's huge, isn't it? I don't know your financial situation. I know mine. I know that $40 a month is not making it hard for me to live. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's all it takes. We've got so much stuff, so many things that we do for ourselves, so many things I've got. Only 40 bucks a month can change a life, a kid's life forever, to give them hope. It doesn't break your heart when you see those young kids who are working in those quarries and he says, I've got dreams, but I want to kill my dreams because they're not going to come true. And then you see Sandra, who has a dream to become a computer technician or engineer, and there she is, she's able to type away on a computer. Look at the contrast that's there. I'm going to play a clip for you now uh, from Compassion that uh, talks to us a bit more about that.
A child may be born into poverty, but at Compassion, we believe poverty is never born into a child. Poverty is complex. Compassion's response is simple. One step at a time. One child at a time. Compassion has a face, hands, feet, a name. Registered in Compassion's child sponsorship program at these church-based centres, having their photo taken is just the beginning. Poverty is defeated when children have regular medical checks and access to medical care, when they're physically healthy. When children are set free to be children and all that God created them to be. Trained church staff and volunteers monitor every child's progress, making sure each one attends a local primary school. Poverty is defeated one lesson at a time, at school and at the Compassion Centre. Over 5,000 local churches of many denominations are partnering with Compassion to meet the needs of children in their local community. These churches are beacons of hope. These churches offer stability. These churches offer compassion. children know someone is thinking of them, writing to them, praying for them. When children learn that their world extends beyond what they can see, when families are connected. Compassion's response is simple. One child at a time, again and again. Week after week, church after church, Centre after centre, year after year, all over the world. Compassion, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. people, children from poverty in Jesus' name. It's a great uh, 
mission, isn't it? And a great statement. And just to see those kids changing is a, a phenomenal thing, isn't it? So just, uh, it, it's good to be moved by those clips, which is great. But it's even better to be moved by God's word, isn't it? And by his heart. And I hope that's what I've shown you today, a bit of both. To be moved by what you see on the screen, but be moved by what you see in God's word and what you see from God's heart as he sees the world as we see the world the way that he sees the world, as we get a glimpse of how he views it. Uh, his heart is for those who are poor and downtrodden. His heart is for children to come out of poverty. His heart is for you and I to be the answer to that. He asks us to be challenged by that, to take compassion, to have compassion, and to see that compassion equals action. How good it will be when we stand before God stand before our Lord Jesus and we meet him. He says, welcome, good and faithful servant. He says, thank you. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a poor child, you became my loving sponsor. Your hope was given to me through you. That's the way Jesus puts it, doesn't he? He says, that's the way he explains it. He says, what we give to these kids is like we're giving to him. Jesus says, the smallest that you did for these little ones, you did for me. Faith without works is dead. Compassion without action is just pity and sympathy. True compassion is a way of life. It was the way Jesus' life. It's the way our life should be. Can I challenge you? I don't know whether you already do. I don't know whether you've ever thought about it. But I challenge you this morning to think about how you can show compassion. Be that through a child sponsor. Be that through another organisation. There are other organisations out there. Be it through going to the orphanage and helping out there. Be it to going to the soup kitchen in Lismore. Be it to actually volunteering at the neighbourhood centre and doing something down there. Be it whatever that you decide that God is leading you to. But don't just sit on your hands. God's answer to poverty is you and me. Let's get out and do it, hey? Let's show compassion. As I said before, Brendan's going to be out the back. Brendan Finance, we've got a table set up out there. Uh, you can have a look through some of the things there for compassion about that uh, and have a think about that. Uh, you can even sign up today or you can take something home today that will help you think about that in the future. Because again, it's us as we're linked together that we can help solve the problem of poverty in this world. God calls us to have compassion. Let's do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's challenging, Lord. It really rips to our hearts and does rip to our insides, Lord. Father, we pray that you may not just challenge us this morning but move us by your spirit to action. May we not just think, gee, that was a good talk and gee, that was a challenging message, but may we be moved to do something about it, Lord. May we not just think, oh yeah, God wants us to be about it, it's good that, but let's get out and do what God wants us to do. If we truly love you, Lord, if we truly want to seek you with all our heart, soul and mind, then help us, Lord, to love our neighbours. Not just the people next door, not just the people down the street, but the people throughout our world. Lord, may you use us to help bring about the alleviation, how do you say it, alleviate 
poverty, Lord, in this world. Let's get that 26% down to almost nothing. May we be one step within that process, Lord. We pray, Lord, for your help in this. We pray, Lord, for your spirit to do a mighty movement within us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.